Okay, today our scripture reading is Acts 5, uh, 11 through 18. When you get that, please stand up. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they all, with one accord, they all were with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem, and all, and all the more believed in the Lord. Multitudes of men and women were constantly added to the number. To such an extent that even carrying the sick out into the street and laying them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. Also, the people from the city of the vicinity and the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick, or afflicted, or unclean spirit, and they were all being healed. Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in the public jail. Who feels blessed to be here today? <laughs> I do. Amen. A beautiful time in worship of music. Jordan, Tracy, Brendan, thank you for that. Wonderful testimonies. Just love to hear how God has brought people to faith in Christ and the power of uh, the gospel to change lives. Um, we are going to be in those verses that Steve has read for us, Acts 5, 11 through 16. The title of this message is An Instrument in the Hands of God. Before I get saying a whole lot more, uh, let me open with a word of prayer. And I'm just going to say it right up front because based on those testimonies I heard, at the close of this message, I'm going to give an opportunity for someone to respond to the gospel. I'm just letting you know right up front, uh, that's between you and the Lord, but I'm going to give an opportunity for someone to respond to the gospel based on what you heard in those testimonies this morning and what you might hear from the Word of God as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it, Lord. Thank you for your people gathered here today. Father, would you move in people's hearts even now? Would you open hearts and minds to the truth of your word, to the beauty of the gospel, for the wonderful hope that we have in Jesus that we learned about in Sunday school this morning? Father, thank you for the Sunday school hour. Thank you for the music and the, and the words of those songs we got to sing. Thank you for your people. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Our daughter, Colette, uh, had the opportunity to be a band person. Dad's not so gifted. I don't know where the kids got it from. I think it's Cindy. <laughs> They're all very musically gifted. Uh, and at the end of her high school music career, she played trumpet. And she actually played the trumpet extremely well. She got to go to Australia with the Michigan Honors Band to do that and got to travel all over the place and play in all kinds of weather. But the end of her high school career, her last opportunity to play for the band was in a, in a thing they called Noodles and Notes. It was a band booster function, and it was all decorated like it was Italy or something like that. And uh, she came in there with her, with her uh, trumpet case in a hurry, and she was running kind of late, because I don't remember the details of that. I think she had a job at that time. And she opened her trumpet case, and it was a cool day. 
And she pulled her trumpet out, and she was sitting there waiting to go. And I could see her down there, and I was thinking to myself, I wonder if she's nervous. And the gym was packed, and it had been kind of a long, you go to this Noodles and Notes things, and from kindergartners on up are playing these instruments, and you hear all kinds of quality of music, right? Well, our daughter Colette comes up with her trumpet, and she gets up to the microphone there, and she picks that trumpet up. And because the trumpet was a little cold, this squawk comes out. And I go, oh. And she puts the trumpet down and she smiles, this little smile. And she giggles out loud, this little giggle. (laughs) And the whole room got quiet and kind of giggled with her. And when she picked that trumpet back up, okay, no emotions here, she played the most beautiful sound Dad was proud, hey? The room got hushed. It was amazing. Uh, you can listen to this song she played. No emotions. I'm going to get rid of them. Uh, you can listen to this song she played. It was called Carnival of Venice. Wynton Marcellus plays it. You can YouTube that. He's got nothing on her that day. Not a note out of place. It was amazing. It was amazing. Well, you know, her playing that didn't just happen. It wasn't just a one-off event. It was years of band class, right? Years of practice, years of playing in different situations, in different venues, in different weather, of playing taps on Memorial Day, marching band. All that stuff prepared her for that moment. And that instrument never sounded so good. It It was a wonderful thing. It was probably the best thing heard that day at Noodles and Notes. In fact, I'm confident it was. It was amazing. We're going to touch on that at the end of this message, but I want, to, I want us to look today as at the church as an instrument, as an instrument in the hands of God. I want us to look at the church as an instrument in the hands of God. Get that turned on here. In this text that Steve read for us, and the reason he read through verse 18, and we're not gonna, I'm not gonna preach all the way through verse 18, and you'll see in a minute why uh, I've had him read those two extra verses. Because I see three sets of hands in this text. In chapter 5, verse 11 through 18, I see three sets of hands. In verse 12, if you'll look, it says, at the hands of the apostles. There are the apostles there ministering with their hands, right? And you get to verse 18 and it says, they laid their hands on the apostles. They're the hands of the Sadducees, putting their hands on the apostles to put them in a public jail. And then there's one other set of hands that isn't mentioned there, and it's the hands of God. The hands of God. I see that there. Jesus says, uh, on his way to the triumphal entry, as he's coming down from Bethpage and his disciples are, are, are shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees say, hey, tell him to knock that off. We don't like that. And they're shouting it loud, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're saying, we don't like that. We don't like how loud they're saying it. We don't like what they're saying. Tell him to knock that off. And Jesus says to them, If they stay quiet, even the stones will cry out. 
the stones will cry out. That is powerful, isn't it? In the Old Testament, in Isaiah 45, 200 years prior to the event, the Lord gives Isaiah this prophecy of King Cyrus, a Gentile king, a Gentile king who is going to shepherd at the hand of God. He was going to shepherd Israel out of Babylon, out of captivity. A Gentile king, Gentile king of Persia, God is going to use this man. God is going to take him by the hand. And that's what it says in Isaiah 45, verse 1, about Cyrus, before he's ever born, I'll take you by the hand, and I'm going to use you. In Acts 9.15, when we get there, we're going to see that uh, when Paul, is just, just before Paul's conversion, or at the time of Paul's conversion, someone is told to go and meet him, and he doesn't want to go and meet Paul. He says, I've heard about this man. He's persecuting the church. And the Lord says to this man, Ananias, yes, not Annas, in, in, not, Annas, not Ananias and Sapphira Ananias, but Annas, Annas. Let me get it right. He says to Annas, he is my, don't worry about it because he is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. My chosen instrument. My point with these three examples are, the point is this, God can use anything or anyone as an instrument in his hands. Anything or anyone as an instrument in his hands. And our focus today is on seeing the church as an instrument in the hands of God. In order for the church to be an instrument in the hands of God, there's a need for purity, though. Purity of the church prepares it. The purity of the church prepares it to be an instrument in the hands of God. And let's just get right into this text now. In verse 11, that's our first point. If you're a note taker, you'll see there are three points to this message. Purity, power, and I've forgotten the third one, and we'll just have to see what it is when we get there. Um, the purity of the church prepares it to be an instrument in the hands of God. Verse 11 says this, And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as has heard these things. Well, what did they hear about? They heard about the fact that Ananias and Sapphira offered this offering with improper motives before the Lord, and they only gave a portion, and they held back that thought that they were only given a portion, and they were trying to pretend like they gave it all, but they didn't. And God judged them, judged them severely. He took them home said, you're of no use to me here. I'm taking you out. And they're still of use to God today because it teaches us that God cares about what goes on in the church. It still preaches to us today. But if the church is to be a useful instrument in the hands of God, there, there's a need for the church to have some purity. The purity of the church really was the focus that we covered last week. Um, we, saw, we saw that man named Barnabas, and he gave... As an encouragement to the, to the church, he gave out of his heart with proper motives, but Ananias and Sapphira came and lied. And again, God judged them. And that purified the church and still does today. And the focus last week was on the truth that God cares about what goes on inside the church. That's what I, the drumbeat was that. God cares about what goes on inside the church. At this point in our message today, though, I'm speaking more to the reasons of why that is the case. Why is that the case? The purity of the church prepares it to be an instrument in the hands of God. The church is called the pillar and foundation of the truth in Scripture. So there's this importance of 
purity, isn't there? If the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth, in other words, the truth that men and women, boys and girls need to know, is found no place else other than the church. It's not found anywhere else. You can't go on a street corner. You can't go to a a bookstore. You can't go to a library unless someone picks up the Word of God, right? But the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. They've been entrusted with the Word of God and the purity of Scripture. It's important. The purity of the church is important as it holds out the Word of life to to a people that desperately need to hear the truth. And now the church is a corporate body made up of many members, but it's one body. And Jesus said, I will build, and we've, we've been on this verse for a while in the last few weeks, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Notice in that verse, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Church is singular. Not prevail against it. It's a singular word. There's one church, corporate church. There's one church. Lots of local churches that make up that church. But there's one church. One church. Singular. One of the greatest evidences for the veracity of the Bible is the presence of the church today. One of the greatest evidences for the veracity of Scripture, the truth of Scripture, is the fact that men and women, boys and girls, are still being saved today. We heard it from two testimonies this morning. Here's this woman that's thinking, I feel so sorry for the people that go to that church. And she goes in there, and what happens? Five days later, she's saved. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful truth. What a wonderful thing God does. Some of the history of the church may be, a, be appropriate here when I talk about uh, the evidences for the veracity of Scripture. But without even mentioning any of that, any of the history of the church, the truths of Scripture that speak of and to the church and to the individuals in the church and its mission and its conduct and its future still ring true to me and you today. The Bible still rings true today. Without going into the history of the church and how it formed and, and how we got to this point now, the truths of Scripture still ring true to us today and we know it. Try to argue with one verse of the Bible. I've used this a few times. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Argue that to yourself. No, that isn't right. No, we know that's right. All have sinned. Me too. And you too. And everybody too. And we know it. We can't argue with it. It's plain. It's plain. What we are is plain before God. It's known of Him. The church as an instrument in the hands of God and the purity in the church prepares it to be just that, an instrument in the hands of God. Verse 11 says this, and great fear seized the whole church. There was a reverence for the things of God in the church. The church was not looked at as a plaything to be manipulated by men and women. The church was looked at not as a plaything to be manipulated by men and women. There was no room for that. But it was looked at as the church of the living God who is present in His church. That's a powerful truth, isn't it? He's present in His church. There was no mistaking it. Ananias and Sapphira taken out. God is present here. This is serious business. 
There's real here. There's truth here. There's something to grab hold of here. It didn't just affect the church. It affected those who were outside the church. And upon as many as has heard these things, God's purifying the church even affected the thinking of those who are not part of the church. Ananias and Sapphira sought for their own glory, but the church exists to glorify the Lord. That's our highlight verse in your bulletin today. Ephesians 3.21, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ to all generations forever. Amen. To Him be glory in the church. The church exists to glorify God. It's an instrument in God's hands to glorify God. That's, that's the purpose of the church. That, that's why we're meeting here today. That's what the church is about. I want to personalize this just a little bit because God's church is a big house. And sometimes a person may get the idea that their little corner of the church is too small for God to notice. God's church is a big house. And you might get to thinking in your mind, well, my little corner, God's not really watching that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes to Timothy in verse 19, and says, the Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who names the name of Christ should depart from iniquity. In verse 20, he speaks of different vessels of 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 20, he speaks of some different vessels there. He says some to honor and some to dishonor. In verse 21, he says this, If a man cleanses himself from these, he will be an instrument, an instrument for noble purposes, holy, useful to the Master, and prepared for every good work. There's no little corner in God's church, in His building, that He's unaware of and that He's unconcerned about. Not a single one. He, the church is an instrument in, the God, in God's hands, but in order for that instrument to be used to the full extent, there's a need for purity in the church. Brings us to our second point. Seeing the church as an instrument in the hands of God, the second thing for us to notice today is power. Power. The pure church is a powerful instrument in the hands of the living God. The pure church is a powerful instrument in the hands of the living God. I'm pretty confident that those people in that little church that Tracy shared with us about this morning had no idea that that young lady was going to walk into the church that day. Had no idea. They'd probably been praying just in just random terms, or maybe not randomly, but you know what I'm saying, just general terms. That's the word I'm looking for. Here this young lady comes. Verse 12, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. It seems to me Luke is connecting together for his reader, who is Theophilus, the lover of God, (laughs) Seems to me Luke connects together for his reader Theophilus the purity in and the power of the church. He connects those two thoughts together. The purity in and the power of the church. Those ideas are connected together by Luke. Because right after verse 11, and great fear came over the whole church and over all those who heard these things, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. 
what I want us to look at right now is I can see here that the power that is the power I'm talking about is manifested in at least three ways. The power is manifested in at least three ways. The first one's obvious. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place. That is obvious. Wow. That's some power. And some of that is listed there, and Steve read some of that for us. We'll look at them in a minute here. But think about this. What's going on here is the ministry of the church. Yes, this power is seen or performed by the hands of the apostles or at the hands of the apostles, but the apostles are part of the church. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is founded on the apostles and the prophets with Christ as the chief cornerstone. The apostles are part of the church. They're Christ's chosen chosen ambassadors for the gospel. When it says signs here, it's just what like what they sound. What it's, a sign is just like what it sounds like, right? You know that who's that guy that says, "Here's your sign." <laughs> Here's your sign. You're driving down the road, and there's a sign that says 55 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour. It's pointing to something, right? A sign just points to something, and these signs were pointing to the veracity, the truth of the gospel that they were proclaiming. That's what those signs were doing: supernatural signs pointing to the truth that they were proclaiming. And wonders. Sound, it's just like what it sounds like. Supernatural wonders. Miracles that left people with a sense of awe. Look at that. Look at that. How did that happen? God did that. This power at the hands of the apostles, God's instruments to validate God's message. It also validated the apostles' ministry, hey? these signs and wonders. But their message was a message of good news. It was a message of good news. It's a good news message. A message of love, a message of hope, a good news message. Not a bad news message. I'd like you to think about something else with regard to this, these signs and wonders. This is a very public ministry. They're not hiding their lamp under a basket, are they? This is a very public ministry. They're ministering to the needs of people. As Jesus had told them in John 14, 12-15, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes on me, the works I do, shall he do also, and greater than these shall he do. Because I go to the Father, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There it is. If you if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Two things with, with those verses I just quoted. Jesus says, I will do it. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. These signs and wonders, it was something Jesus was doing. Jesus was doing it. Through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles' hands, Jesus was doing it. And he says, the the works I I do shall he do also, and greater than these. They were doing them in a greater number than, than Jesus was. Just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people coming. And it just continued. 
And then right after Jesus says that in John 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Isn't that, isn't that just, sounds like he's on one track and then just jumps onto something else. You're going to be involved in these greater works. Anything you ask in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. The church is meant to be an instrument in the hands of God to glorify God through glorifying Christ. And as the church keeps the commandments of Jesus, we glorify the Father. You know, Luke opens the book of Acts, and he's going to cover this span of over 30 years, and he starts with the birth of the church and then some of the progress of the church. It's not a complete history because he couldn't do that. It would be too exhaustive. But he begins this way in Acts 1.1, The former treatise I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Jesus began to do and teach. There was more work to be done. There was more to be done. His work on the cross is a finished work. There's no doubt about that. His ascension was the Father's amen to his finished work on the cross. 1 John 2.2 2, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. But the work of making this good news known was just begun. It was just begun. And it's still going on today. So we see, we see uh, the purity of the church impacts the church in such a way that the church has power to do the ministry it was given to do. The disciples are, have power to do the ministry they're given to do. There's also power seen by the presence of unity. And that might slip by you a little bit, but I want us to look at that because it might be a sign of greater power than the signs and wonders themselves. Verse 12, At the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. I think that's a constant visual display of the power of God in the church. All of one accord. Again, this might be a greater display of power in the church than the signs and wonders themselves. And this is the constant drumbeat in these first chapters of Acts. Luke just keeps coming back to it. And they are all of one accord. They are all of one accord. They are all of one accord. He just keeps coming back to it. They're of one heart and one soul. We run into it almost every week. We're in the book of Acts. The same drumbeat theme just keeps coming back. Picture uh, for a minute Washington, D.C. in the House of Representatives. Now, as representatives, the House of Representatives, just the name tells you what they're to do. They're to represent us, right? So that, that's us. Are, are there 435? I'm forgetting now. 485? How many are there? Nobody else knows either. <laughs> There's over 400 of these representatives. They represent us. That's us in microcosm. In, Any power of unity there? Remotely? None. Not even close. 400 people. In the portico of Solomon, by the way, that pillar is a pillar in the portico of Solomon. In the portico of Solomon, there are thousands of believers of one heart and one soul, united 
of one accord. What is that? That's the power of God. That's the power of God making the church an instrument in His hands. Third way I see power here is power in the public square. That's the way I've termed it. Because the church as an instrument in God's hands impacts those who are outside the church. Verse 13, But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. What a testimony of purity and power. The church was not just a novel curiosity in in the eyes of those outside the church, but it was known as an assembly in direct connection with a living and true God. I I think that could be a message all on its own. It was known by those outside the church as a body of believers, a group of people, an assembly, a church, with direct connection to a living and true God. The impact of a purified and powerful church impacted the public perception of the church. There was a certain level of respect for the church. And we know nothing destroys respect for the church faster than hypocrisy in the church. Nothing destroys respect for the church faster than hypocrisy in the church. And we know we're not perfect. We know that too, right? If, 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 if the standard for Ananias and Sapphira was for every believer, I said this last week, we might have an empty building this morning. Because in little ways, probably in some little ways, all of us have been hypocrites at one time or another. And maybe in some bigger ways. But thankfully... It's there for us as an example to know that God cares about what goes inside the church. But there's power in the public square here. And if we know that nothing destroys the respect of the church faster than hypocrisy in the church, then few things would promote the value of the church more than purity in the church, right? Few things would promote the value of the church more than purity and unity in the church. This is a church that's grabbing the attention of the world, not the other way around. And this is a power of distinction. This is a power of distinction. They recognize the church as something other. What a platform for truth. That's something other. No one else dared join them. I wrote this down before I ever knew Tracy was going to share what she shared this morning. You've probably met folks I have, or maybe you've even had the thought yourself or said something like this, I can't go to church because the walls would collapse or the roof was going to fall in. But actually, when one of these individuals comes to the church, I I think the fear really is that they themselves, the fear really is that they themselves are going to collapse. I'm thinking right now of a man, you don't know him, and I won't even say his name. This goes back some years. This little country church that I got saved going to, and I got to go back there a couple years after we were at another church, 
And when I went back there, I met a man that I used to work with that was so confident out in the public square. Picture of confidence. This man had it all together. I won't get into all the details of that, but he had it all together. He was in that church that day I went back. That confidence was not in him. You know what I saw in his face? Fear. I I saw this, but none of the rest dared associate with them. He came into the presence of a body of believers and didn't even know what to do with himself. church is still alive today. That's my point with that. The church is still alive today, brothers and sisters in Christ. God has us here for a purpose. And in your home churches, He has you there for a purpose. Again, someone saying, I can't go to the church because I think the roof's going to fall in. I really do think that the reality is The fear is that they themselves are going to fall in. They themselves are going to collapse. But that should not stop someone. That should not stop someone from coming into the church. That's unfamiliar territory, maybe, right? That's what that is. Unfamiliar territory. I'm not talking about the place. The building. I'm talking about the conviction. That's unfamiliar territory for an unbeliever. That's what that is. That's conviction. I don't fit in here. That's conviction. It's a good thing. The church is a place where folks can come and should come to learn about God, but sometimes that begins with learning some things about ourselves, and some of those things aren't very pretty. But the world should not come in. The world should not come in and become the influence over the church. And that didn't happen in this church. This church influenced the world. And it kept growing. That brings us to our final point today. And I'm remembering now because I'm looking at it. The progress of the church. The progress of the church. Verses 14 and through 16. And all more believers in the Lord... Multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. The purity of the church was preparing the church for the power that would confirm the message that led to the progress of the church. Multitudes. Multitudes. So many, they're not even counting them anymore. Right? Multitudes. 3,000 one day. Then 5,000 men. Now there's just so many people, we're just calling it multitudes. Multitudes of men and women are coming to faith in Christ. This church is on fire, an instrument, an instrument rather, useful to the Master. The King James in this verse says that they were added to the Lord. They were added to the Lord. I like that language. Added to the Lord. What a statement. Every single believer is connected to that one head, Jesus Christ. They were added to the Lord. The church is one body, and every person that comes to faith in Christ is added to the Lord. They belong to Him. It's a beautiful thought, isn't it? Then verses 15 and 16 is just a summary of all that was going on 
through the church at the hands of the apostles to such an extent that that even that to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by at least a shadow might fall on any one of them verse 16 also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all being healed what a time for the church what an instrument in the hands of god purified empowered and now there's this progress of the church there's this public ministry going on very public and uh, steve read for us verse 18 as well this public ministry they're going to end up in a public jail we're going to close the message now with just kind of a summary of what we've been talking about this morning. But today's message was about seeing the church as an instrument in the hands of God and the interconnections between purity and power and the progress of the church, the interconnections of that. So with the idea of purity, I began today with a story about our daughter Colette and her performance. What a joy and what a sound. Again, it didn't just happen. There were years Years of preparation. And you're familiar with the saying, don't toot your own horn, right? But an individual member in the body of Christ, as an individual member in the body of Christ, we are to be instruments in the hands of God. Romans 6.13, And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments, instruments of righteousness to God. I want to say to someone right now, look, I don't know how this message is striking you, but I want to say not knowing that. I'm just going to say it. Whatever's in your past is in your past, and God has been preparing you for now. And I want to challenge you to be an instrument in the hands of God. Be an instrument in the hands of God. Be an instrument in His hands. That's a summation of this thought of purity I wanted to share with you. With power. We're not the apostles. We don't possess the kind of authority the Lord had given them. But we can be devoted to doing good. If, if you read the book of Titus this afternoon, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, this little book of Titus. Paul is telling Timothy over and over again, our people must devote themselves to doing good. To doing good. That's powerful. And we have His Word, and there's power in in all of the Word of God. It's living and active. And we have the same Holy Spirit. There's one body, one faith, one Spirit, One baptism. We have the same Holy Spirit. And now to progress. Along with the Holy Spirit, we have two of the most powerful things that these apostles had. The Holy Spirit and this last thing. The Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's the close of this message. Talking today about the church as an instrument 
in the hands of God and individual members of the church as instruments in the hands of God. And I started, before I started the message, saying I was going to offer an invitation. I'm going to do that now. You don't have to walk forward. You can do that if you want. You can stay in your seat and you can raise your hand, but I'm going to ask for every head bowed and every eye closed. This is between you and the Lord. And I'm going to ask for those of us who know the Lord to be praying for those of us who might not. And if you today want to trust Christ as your Savior, you can do that right where you're sitting. You could say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. I heard those testimonies. I know I have never trusted Christ before. We heard testimony of that from Patrick. He wasn't sure. He said, I want to get it right today. Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can call on Him right now. Right now. And if you've done that or would like to do that, I'm going to ask you to show some response. You can raise your hand and put it back down. And one more thing. For those of us who know Him, if there's issues of a lack of purity in some way in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. And I'm not going to ask for a response here. This is between you and the Lord. I'm here if you want to talk to me about it. But if you've got some kind of issue and you need to deal with it and you need help with it, you can ask the Lord to forgive you right now. 1 John Chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I want to thank You for the truths of Your Word. Thank You for Your people gathered here today. Father, if there's one here today that is yet to trust Christ, would You move in their hearts, help them to know that they need to make that decision. That life is short. We need to make that decision this side of eternity. Father, for those of us who know You, Purify us, Lord. Empower us that we might see the church progressing. In Jesus' name, amen.